This is episode 64 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are How to Survive World War III, Prepping for a U.S. Mainland Conflict, Prepping Priorities, What Should You Be Prepping For, and What Will It Take to Survive the Coming Pandemic. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before I get started, just a couple of things. Um, if you are part of the mailing list, uh, the new Prepper Website mailing list, I sent out uh, an email this morning um, about a free webinar that uh, I'm, I'm sponsoring with Melissa K. Norris. It's on canning. So it's a free webinar on canning. And she's going to be talking about uh, canning, canning safely, which um, really that's probably the, the biggest reason why people don't can, uh, that, those that want to, right? I mean, there's some people that's like, I don't want to bother with that. That's, I'm just going to go to the grocery store and buy, buy whatever I need. But those who, who want to can, who don't, the, their biggest thing is, is fear of canning, you know, getting it wrong, and then, you know, harming your family. So she's going to, she's been doing it for a while. She knows what she's doing. She's experienced. She's going to, she teaches this. So she's going to do this webinar to teach how to can safely. And then, uh, as well, how to do it so that you can add to your food storage. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can do when, when you have, uh, when you can. So, for instance, you have extra uh, produce coming from your garden and you can't eat it, you can can it. Uh, you go to the grocery store and you have uh, you see a sale and, and you know they're just getting rid of a whole bunch of whatever you can buy that and you can can that uh, let's say at, at some point in uh, the future uh, you're harvesting your you know some animals or you go hunting uh, you can eat a lot of it you can turn a lot of it into jerky but I mean are you going to turn everything into jerky that you don't eat um, the easiest way to preserve that is through canning. And so uh, people have canned for you know hundreds of years, and so it, there is an easy way of doing it. There is a safe way of doing it. So she's going to show you and walk you through how to do that. I, I uh, in the email that was sent out, there was a sign up uh, sheet so that, or not a sheet, but a, a sign up button so that you can register, and then you'll get an email reminding you in, in about five days when it's time to uh, to go to that um, to that webinar. But uh, I'm also going to have it, if you're not part of the email group, then you're, um, you can get it on Prepper website. I'm going to go ahead and headline it at the top so you'll be able to hit it up there and um, you'll be able to watch this, this free webinar and uh, you know, get some information on how to can. And hopefully, those of you who want to can and who you haven't been canning yet, uh, you'll feel a little bit more... Um, you'll feel a little bit better and more confident about being able to to can and can your own food and and what that would mean. I mean, you save a lot of money canning your own food and uh you know adding to your food storage. Uh, you know, there might be a time in the future where we're not going to have grocery stores, we're not going to have, you know, where you can replenish easily and the way to save your food is going to, you know, would be through canning. Uh when you, you know, you stock up on those supplies and you have those supplies. So, with that um, yeah, you want to be part of the email group. Every once in a while, I'm sending out things. I try to send out something on Monday, uh, send out things that uh, I'm not putting anywhere else, and you know, just just being able to connect. I mean, one of the other reasons why 
I did that is because I, I, I use Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and all of those things. Uh, you just use them because you, you have to, right? That's one way to uh, let people know what you're doing. But I don't trust them completely. There's people that had big Facebook groups or big Facebook pages. And because Facebook didn't like something that they put out there, uh, whether it was a patriotic thing or it was maybe a, uh, something about Islam or, or whatever it was, they shut them down. And they lost some. There were some pages that that was all their their ability and their way that they communicated with people and so i have all that facebook and twitter and all that kind of stuff but i don't <laughs> i don't trust it um having trouble stumbling over my words today um uh, i don't trust it because you know at any point for whatever reason they can shut that down and they don't have to give you an explanation i mean it's theirs it belongs to them and so then you're kind of stuck out i want to be able to communicate with other people for whatever reason if you know something was going on even let's say um I posted something on Prepper website that maybe the government didn't like, and or my my hosting provider didn't like, and they shut it down. You know, how could I uh, be able to communicate with other people? I want to I want to be able to be able to do that, or I want to still be able to do that is to communicate with you in one form or, or another. And so that's why I'm gonna uh, I've, I've started the new email group. You can still have, get the the daily emails on Prepper website if you go on the the right hand corner. Uh, or the right sidebar down about midway, there's a sign-up sheet there. I keep saying sign-up sheet. Uh, it's like I'm in elementary school. There's a sign-up button there so that you can sign up there um, for that. But I really don't promote that as much anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm more focused on this other uh, avenue. I think it uh, is a little bit more beneficial. And from time to time, I get opportunities like... Melissa K. Norris, you know, doing this free webinar that I can let other people know that maybe they're not coming to the web website all the time. I'm uh, talking about email groups. I got an email today from uh, from a reader who's just really, really hot under the collar. Actually, a couple of hours ago, uh, before I you know started the podcast, uh, that a lot of the websites that I was linking to on Purple Website have these pop-ups, and so let me. Let, I, he, he's, he was like, Todd, I want you to tell these other people, these websites, that you're not going to link to them anymore if they don't get rid of their pop-ups. And I'm like, that's not, they're not going to do that for Purple Website. I can guarantee you that, that you know, they're their own website, they're their own people, they know what they're doing. They're going to continue doing it. If I, if I link to people that didn't have pop-up, uh, you know, little pop-ups, I think I'd only linked about two, uh, two or three articles a night. But the reason they do that is because emails are so important. Um, email email is like um, it's it's like your property that you're able to connect with. It's that direct way to communicate with you. Uh, and so it's like knowing your address, right? Knowing your physical address. It's like knowing your digital address. And um, it, it's it's so important for websites so that they can send you emails, so that they can send you offers and special deals, and and uh, you know to market to you and and those kinds of things, uh, you know. So it's that's why they do it. Now let me give you a little trick. Most people when or most websites. Um, so if you notice, if you've been going to my websites, I have the pop up, but I have it on the right corner. So it pops up on the corner. So it's not, you know, it doesn't pop up all over your screen. Um, 
there's some websites that will pop up two pop-ups right after another. I, I'm coming up right from the right-hand corner, kind of stay there, and you can you know close it out if you want. I would tell you don't just close or X out. Say that you say no that you don't want it, because most of the time it will register. Uh, your computer or a cookie, you know, whatever, and uh, will we'll not show you that pop-up again for like another seven days. And that's the way Prepper website is set up. So if you don't want to see the the, uh, the pop-ups on Prepper website or, or any of the other websites, just hit no, no thanks, and you won't see it for seven days. But after seven days, it'll pop up again. Um, so hopefully that's uh, what other people are doing. I know that uh, when I did it before, years and years ago, I had it set to a 30-day uh, window. So you would see it once every 30 days if you didn't subscribe. Now, that's if you allow cookies and things like that on your on your computer. If you're using a browser that completely, you know, you... Uh, you close everything out or you wipe everything out every time, well, then you're going to always see it because there's not a cookie to register. But that's just maybe uh, a helpful hint if you go out there and you're you're getting to websites. Don't just X out of it. Hit the no thank you or no, I don't want this or no, I don't want to be prepared or whatever whatever it says. And that, that should help you for a little bit, a little bit of time. All right, so rambling on. I can't believe I, ram- I just rambled on for that amount of time. Uh, let's go ahead and get started because um, these articles are, are big and there's something that I do want to talk to you at the very end because these articles are kind of um, more on a negative slant. And so something that I do want to talk to you that's kind of been on my mind lately. Um, this first one comes to us from The Organic Prepper. Uh, again, how to survive World War III prepping for a U.S. mainland conflict. Aside from everyone nuking each other into mutually assured obsolescence, the World War III worst-case scenario for Americans would be if the conflict reached the American mainland, an invasion, a massive assault. The idea seems unlikely considering that the last time there was a full-on war on the American mainland was during the American Civil War. Previous to that, there was some foreign invasions, but our land has been protected from battles against other countries almost two centuries. But is it really so far-fetched? There is a great deal of debate about whether it could happen. I can't predict the future, but I can analyze the possible threats and make suggestions for preparing for such an event. In part one and two of this series, I wrote about surviving if war erupted on distant shores. Part three was some predictions about how it could go down. If, in all of this uncertainty, one thing remains sure, it would be an entirely different ballgame if the battle came to us. There are many theories about why the United States has been safe during previous conflicts. Here are a few reasons that foreign armies haven't invaded. The Second Amendment. Americans are armed to the teeth. Most other countries on the planet do not have an armed citizenry. The fact that almost half of the country is armed and that there are more than 357 million civilian firearms, and that is just the number of guns that are registered, unregistered estimates boost the number as high as 600 million, means that a foreign army on the ground would face major resistance. However, in certain anti-gun strongholds like Chicago, New York, and Southern California, the risk of resistance would decrease accordingly. As well, an unfortunate downturn in gun ownership also weakens us. Trained in organized forces, we already have an organized military. From our armed forces to the National Guard, add to this our police forces, sheriff departments, and our veterans, and there are many trained people on our soil at all times. Many states have citizen militias that train regularly as well. Geographic isolation. 
A stealthy invasion would be very difficult due to our isolation. A land invasion would have to come through Canada or Mexico. Canada would most definitely resist, although Mexico could be a wild card, especially with our strained relations. And crossing the Pacific or Atlantic with enough soldiers for a physical invasion of a country with millions of people wouldn't exactly be a subtle process either. Our advanced warning systems would detect breaches in airspace or water of any force large enough to do this. Add to this the fact that our Navy is almost triple the size of the next biggest naval force on the planet, China. While this appears to be the least likely scenario, it doesn't make it impossible. During a chat with a military friend, he said that if he was going to invade the mainland, he'd collapse the economy first. As preppers, we all know that an economic collapse would lead to internal strife. Our on-the-ground military and police forces would be busy trying to maintain some type of order. Martial law would probably be declared. Then, incoming forces would be able to sway the minds of many people with the idea of freedom from this martial law. Think about how easily many people in the younger generation have, co-opted, have been co-opted by idealized notions of communism or socialism, and you'll realize that this isn't such a far-out concept. An invasion like this would be a psychological operation more than a typical battle. And, as much as we'd like to believe it, our airspace and waters are not 100% impenetrable. There have been near intrusions into both, into both in recent months. Back in February, a Russian spy ship was reported only 30 miles off the coast of Connecticut. In early April, increased naval aircraft patrols sparked concerns that a Russian or North Korean submarine might be lurking off the coast of California. Later in April, Russian military planes were flying uncomfortably close to U.S. airspace airspace near Alaska for four days in a row. Those types of intrusions indicate the possibility of attack rather than invasion. If we were crippled by a massive attack, the invasion part would probably follow close behind. These things nearly always start out with a shocking event that no one saw coming. Think back in history to the bombing of Pearl Harbor or the German invasion of Poland in the wee hours of the morning. No one went to bed that night before expecting all hell to break loose the next day, with enemy soldiers overhead or encroaching. Border and coastal areas would be most vulnerable to initial attack by air or sea. Nuclear weapons are likely to be used in such attacks. Those living closely enough to potential targets need to get their nuclear preparedness plan in order just in case. Kim Jong-un can't shut up about his plans to nuke America, and Russia recently backed out of a disarmament agreement, failing to dispose of enough weapons-grade plutonium to make 17,000 nuclear warheads. The North Korean leader keeps doing unauthorized missile tests to prove his nuclear potential. In fact, yesterday, one of the missiles landed a mere 60 miles off the coast of Russia. A cyber attack could take many directions, but the most likely would be crippling the Internet and or the financial sector. It's possible that U.S. defense computers could also be affected. Any of these would cause chaos in the day-to-day affairs of many people. Last week's ransomware attack would only be a drop in the bucket compared to the havoc that could be wrought. You might not be able to use bank or credit cards causing business transactions to grind to a halt, You might not be able to complete your work. Most places rely on the Internet for at least part of their business activities. The market would potentially crash or shut down, causing billions to be lost in a day. If defense technology was hacked, we might not be able to see or prevent a physical attack. Something that would definitely cause our country to grind to a halt would be an attack on the grid. Whether through an EMP or cyber attack, anything that shut down our ability to use electrical power would be crippling. 
Senator Ron Johnson, chairman of the U.S. Senate Committee of Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, predicted that a full 90% of Americans would die. R. James Woolsey, chairman of the Foundation for Defense Democracies and former director of the Central Intelligence Agency, testified to the Committee of the Potential Ramifications. Quote, It's briefly dealt with in the Commission Report of 2008. There are essentially two estimates on how many people would die from hunger, from starvation, from lack of water, and from social disruption. One estimate is that within a year or so, two-thirds of the United States population would die. The other estimate is that within a year or so, 90% of the U.S. population would die. We're talking about a total devastation. We're not talking about just a regular catastrophe, end quote. It would be an easy thing for nearly an invading force to come in after something like that. A biological attack could take many forms. It could be the release of a virus, but this would be risky for the enemy country as well, as these things are difficult to contain. It could be something released into water supplies in large metropolitan areas. The Department of Homeland Security provides this description, quote, A biological attack is the intentional release of a pathogen, disease-causing agent, or biotoxin, poisonous substance produced by a living organism, against humans, plants, or animals. An attack against people could be used to cause illness, death, fear, societal disruption, and economic damage. An attack on agricultural plants and animals would primarily cause economic damage, loss of confidence in the food supply, and possible loss of life. It is useful to distinguish between two kinds of biological agents. Transmittable agents that spread from person to person, like smallpox, Ebola, or animal to animal, like foot and mouth disease, and agents that may cause adverse effects in exposed individuals, but that do not make those individuals contagious to others, like anthrax, botulism, toxin. End quote. In what just might be the most chilling prospect of all, an attack from within our own border could be devastating. This is a scenario that seems more likely in a place like Germany where unchecked immigration of young men of fighting age leads to the potential of a fighting force of millions already in place. However, look at our own civil unrest since the election of President Trump. Have you ever seen the country so divided? As Americans fight with each other, would it be so difficult to imagine the different sides aligning with other powers, regardless of whether you think the pro-Trump people are the worst or the Antifa people are? This divisiveness and hatred weakness weakens us as a country and opens the door to foreign interference. When you add to this the suspicious suspicions that some of this division is suspected to have been funded by provisional, I'm sorry, by professional, and I'm just going to say poop dis- disturber, George Soros, you need not look very far back in history to see that Soros has a record of promoting unrest and destabilization for financial gain. And when you consider our own media has aligned itself against the president, an attack from within isn't a huge stretch of the imagination. Okay, I just let me just stop right there because she does address the media. It is so apparent that the the only way that you can't look at the media right now and not know that they're so one-sided is that you choose not to. Um, there's just no way. I've never seen it so blatant in my life. Uh, you know, I'm not that old. I'm in my mid forties, but, uh, as I've, you know, in, in my adult years, as I've watched the news, this is, it's crazy out there. Uh, it's just done on purpose. Things that the, the previous president could, could have done and gotten away with and, and, you know, didn't even get a slap on the, on the wrist. Uh, you know, Trump does something and oh my gosh, you know, it's time for impeachment. 
So, uh, if yeah, it's just it's just crazy out there. All right, continuing on. Uh, take that scenario a bit further and consider the proxy war being fought in Syria right now between the U.S. and Russia. Should all hell break loose within America, even other countries aren't directly involved in starting it, you can rest assured that they'll be choosing sides and fanning the flames of conflict. And then someone will be there to sweep up the pieces and quote-unquote help us. Prepping for the unprecedented is purely theoretical, but nearly every disaster has some potential occurrence that we can base our plans upon. Disruption of transportation, regardless of how the event goes down, it's likely that transportation would grind to a halt. This means that stores wouldn't be restocked and the just-in-time system would ensure shortages within the first 48 hours. You wouldn't be able to order stuff online because that, would be able to, to, that wouldn't be able to get through either. In a case like this, what you have on hand is all you have. You need to be prepped for a long time between grocery store trips with a shelf-stable supply. The fastest way to build a supply is by purchasing buckets of food, but it isn't the most economic way, economical way. This book outlines how to build a supply of whole, healthy food on a tight budget. Keep in mind that it isn't just food you'd run out of. Here is a list of 50 non-food stockpile essentials, and here is an article about what they ran out of first during the collapse of Venezuela. Widespread civil unrest. We've already seen unrest in small areas scattered across the country, and it got ugly fast. This trend causes, could become more widespread with looting, vandalism, and sheer chaos. Here's a checklist to help you get prepared for this potential. In such a situation, you might also be prepared to defend your family. I strongly recommend that you get armed for such a potential scenario. Of course, it's not enough to just be armed. You'll want to also be trained. Shooting is a perishable skill, and you must practice diligently. Your life could depend on it. Another aspect of civil unrest would be hungry people beating down your door because they know you have food. It is of the most importance that you practice good OPSEC for such a scenario. If others know that you have supplies, they will expect you to share. If you refuse, things will get ugly. There is a fine line between working together and giving away all your supplies to those who did not prepare. Martial law. In an all-hell-breaking-loose situation, martial law is almost a given if the government is still operational. There can be just as much risk from your own government as from foreign powers. In a highly charged situation like this, police and military are trained to use the most efficient methods to speedily shut down a conflict. These methods can include tear gas, sound cannons, and outright physical assault on citizens. It's important to note that fear can be a powerful motivator when deciding how much force is appropriate when addressing a threat. Cops are just as subject to fear as the rest of us. Twenty cops with shields and batons would be quite, reason be quite reasonable to fear an angry mob of hundreds of shouting people. Your safety when interacting with officials during a martial law situation does not rely on the intentions of police officers or military. It really doesn't matter if they are trying to crush your rights under a jackbooted heel or whether they are trying to benevolently keep people safe and reestablish peace and harmony. Here are some suggestions to help keep you safe when dealing with cops and soldiers. Avoid crowds. If you're in the midst of a crowd, you'll be considered part of the crowd and treated exactly like everyone else in that group. If they get tear gas, so will you. It's guilt by association. If the crowd is violent and you are part of the crowd, you will also be considered violent and you'll be dealt with accordingly. Legally, you are actually guilty if you are part of a group that is violent. Go home. Be polite. If you have to interact with officers, be courteous. 
You won't restore the Constitution by arguing with them or threatening them. It's fine to assert your rights. You don't have to allow them to search your house without cause. For example, but do so civilly. Belligerence will get you nothing but a beatdown. You don't, you don't get to explain. In a highly charged situation, the cops probably aren't going to listen to you when you try to explain that you're just taking the baseball bat in your hand over to your nephew's house so he can hit some balls in the backyard. No matter how innocent your intentions are, if you're walking like a duck, you're going to be treated like a duck. Training will kick in and perceived threats will be immediately neutralized by whatever means the cops find necessary. Stay home. It really isn't worth risking your physical safety to go see what's going on. Underneath the uniform, cops are human. This isn't me justifying the brutality or the methods, but an attempt to shed light on their motivations. Cops are just as likely to be swept up in a herd mentality as thugs are during a high-stress situation. By understanding this, you can be better prepared. Nuclear Preparedness Most people picture a nuclear attack as something that results in a nuclear winter akin to the grim, awful movie, The Road. While that isn't impossible, it's more likely that the attack would be a smaller one on a design designated area. If you are outside the immediate blast zone, the event is completely survivable if you are ready for the possibility. Here's an overview of what to do in the event of a nuclear strike. Also, we're currently interviewing experts at Preppers University for a full-length class on the topic. Sign up here so you don't miss the notification. Some things to keep on hand in the event of nuclear attacks are... Personal radiation meter, protective gear, potassium iodide tablets for each member of the family, go with the Iostat brand, supplies to seal off your home, enough emergency food and water to remain in lockdown for nine days to a month. Biological preparedness. General pandemic preparedness will help you to be ready for the potential of a biological attack. Whether the instigation of a pandemic is deliberate or not, the safety measures will be the same. This article gives you an overview on pandemic preparedness, and this book provides thorough detail of what you should do in the event of a pandemic, including vital information on different types of pandemics. As well, download and print out this fact sheet about different biological threats and and proper responses to them. Make a gray man plan. In nearly any situation, your ability to avoid notice will keep you safer. As mentioned above, you don't want all of your neighbors to know that you are stocked up and armed to the teeth. If you're in public, you don't want anything about yourself to stand out and be memorable. Here's a great article by a former surveillance operative to help you blend in. Band together. If you have like-minded neighbors, even if they aren't preppers, there is safety in numbers. Get to know the people who live nearby and think about who you could trust in a different different scenario. This doesn't mean that you need to tell them what kind of supplies you have. It just means that by building relationships now, these could be the people who have your back when crazy things go down. If your neighbors aren't a good gamble, consider an exit strategy for getting to your extended family. Selko of SHTF School, when talking about the occupation of Bosnia, says that people survive by living together in one household. Consider it now. Who could you depend on if your town turned into the Wild West? What skills do you personally bring to the table? Have a long-term survival plan that is already in effect. If you are already accustomed to being self-reliant and living frugally, it will mentally be far easier to transition yourself to wartime survival. Trying to learn to do all of these things when you don't have any backup from the store is a risky situation. I wrote about some of my own farming failures in this article. This is why you have to live the life now. How will you collect and purify water? How will you grow food? 
Do you have the supplies and gear to grow that food? How will you raise livestock? Do you know how to preserve what you grow? And how will you protect your life, your little, sorry, how will you protect your little farm from two-legged and four-legged critters who want to eat it? How will you heat your home in the winter? Remember, once things go down, you won't be able to purchase the supplies to make your rain barrels and outdoor cooking pits. Do these things now. Consider an evacuation plan. If it came right down to it, is your location survivable, survivable during a year-long or longer siege? Large cities like New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles would not only be targets for foreign occupation, they'd pose great survivability issues if they were blockaded or if the grid went down. Smaller towns and cities could be better bets or rural areas with neighbors that aren't too far away. After listening to the advice of some people who have lived through dire situations like this one, I completely changed my own long-term survival plan. Above all, you need to have your team, as I mentioned above. If you live in a place that would not be survivable, it doesn't mean you have to pick up and move right away. It means that you do, however, need to have a plan that doesn't make you a refugee. Know where you'll go, how you'll get there, and ensure that you are expected and welcome. Are you prepared for World War III? If you knew that World War III was going to start tomorrow, what would you do today to ensure that you are prepared? The global tensions doesn't seem to be easing, and attack on the mainland is not impossible. Maybe it's time to make stop. Maybe it's time to make putting off those things you know you need to do. Check out the rest of the World War or the World War Three series. So there's a lot of links in this article that you'll want to uh, to check out. Um, so all the links to the the other series, the other four articles, but then all along the article, there's just tons of links that are helpful and uh, you know checklists and all that kind of stuff. So go check out this article at the Organic Prepper. Um, yeah, a mainland conflict. You know what would that look like? Again, I, I do want to share a couple of things just at the very very end. So uh, let's continue going. Uh, prepping priorities. What should you be prepping for? And this comes to us from the Prepper Journal. Let's go ahead and read this one. When we jump on preparedness sites, sometimes we're immediately struck by the enormous loads of things to buy, do, and learn. We immediately start hearing about raw battle rifles, ammo counts in the thousands, pressure canners, inch or bob bags and locations, uh, pace counts, and primitive skills. World and nation-altering events such as nuclear war, internet-ending viruses, Nibiru, Agenda 21, and NWO, and the like pop up. They all have their place, but sometimes things get missed, and it can make for a very overwhelming introduction. It can make it hard to prioritize where to spend our time and finance budgets and financial budgets even for those with experience and years of exposure to the prepared mindset. To make it a little easier to prioritize, we can work in stages. We can look at what is most likely to occur in the near future and our lifetimes and use the information to help us decide where to focus our time, efforts, and resources. So there is a graphic here on zone rings. And uh, I'm going to be an explanation of it here in just a minute. In permaculture, planning is based on zones. The, basis, the basic premise is that you start at zero or one with the cell for home and move onward through two to four and eventually into zone five. The inner rings have the most immediate contact with the re resident, while the outer rings are visited less frequently. Other systems also use similar ring concepts of involvement, frequency, and impact. The same can be applied to preparedness just like we modified 
in a health will to fit our particular interest and needs. In this case, instead of looking at the frequency with which we'll make contact with an area, we'll be looking at the frequency with which things occur and impact our world. Like permaculture, I've given, I've gone with general categories. In this case, they are daily, seasonal, or annual, five to ten year, generational, and lifetime, eventually, maybe. There are some examples for the average Western world resident. Later in the article, there are a few tips of planning for and around those most and least prevalent scenarios. Zone 1, first ring, daily occurrences. Daily emergencies are those that strike somebody somewhere every single day in our English reading modern life. While some affect larger groups, these tend to be personal or family-related items. They're the kind of things that neighbors might not even notice. Some examples are layoff or cut hours, cut wages, major bills like roof, medical, HVAC, or veterinary, veterinarian, uh, house fire, major injury, developing disability, theft, burglary, mugging, vehicular accident and malfunction, temporarily removing transportation, temporary power outages like an hour or, or hours or one to three days, personal physical altercation like a mugging, home invasion, a drunk at the bar, date rape, and then missing persons, family death. When considering the financial aspects of preparedness, also consider the things that might not affect jobs and do affect our income and our ability to offset daily costs. For instance, an injury that prevents gardening and picking up overtime or a second job as a stalker, pipe fitter, or forklift driver, or a developing disability that renders an arm hand weak or unusable and prevents needlepoint, canine grooming, or weaving. Zone 2, second ring, seasonal annual occurrences. These are the things we can consult our al almanacs and insurance companies to consider. They regularly tend to affect a large number of people. It might be a block or a street in some cases, parts of a town or country, or might impact a whole state, I'm sorry, parts of a town or county, or might impact a whole state if not a region. They'd be like busted water mains, boil no boil water orders, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, wind and thunderstorms, wildfires, significant or extreme snowfall, summer drought, temporary outages, two to five days, river ice, lock, lock up and floods, an active shooter or bomb threat, terrorist events. Let's hope that last stays firmly in the annual category or shifts back to the third prevalence ring of for most of us. Let's also acknowledge that in some places and nations, it's already more common to be caught in crossfire of some sort than it is to live in peaceful lives. And for some of them, it's as or almost as common as paying monthly bills or going out to eat. Zone 3, third ring, 5 to 10 year occurrences. These are the things that happen regularly but infrequently. Some occur on cycles. Some, as with the natural disasters above, are a nearly, predict nearly predictable cycle. Some aren't really predictable per se, but as with tornadoes in one of the nation's tornado alley or hurricane-prone areas, you learn to expect them. We can expect them to affect a large area or more people in many cases. Natural disasters from above, mudslides, major industrial or business closures or layoffs, Drought, personal and wild, uh, widespread impacts. Widespread livestock illness such as the avian diseases that pop up regularly. Temporarily, temporary outages, 3 to 14 days. Changing life phases like childbirth and toddlers, school-age kids, driving-age youth, empty nest retirements. 
and fuel cost cycles. Zone 4, fourth ring, generational occurrences. The span covered by the term generation tends to change if you use the strictest definition. Most account for a generation to cover about 20 to 30 years. Some examples of things that very much tend to be generational include major wars, mental and physical disabilities, income effects, good and bad, recessions, depressions, fuel cost cycles, more extreme, serious multi-year weird weather like droughts, floods, uh, late or early springs, and 25 and 50 year flood levels and some disease. Zone 5, the fifth ring, lifetime eventual possible occurrences. A lot of these are going to affect not just a region, not just one nation, but many. In some nations and regions, they may fall under the fourth ring of prevalence instead of the fifth. Some of these are also the big fear gotchas or clickbait types that seem to draw folks in. Some are truly believed in, and I try not to judge people on what they believe. Poles have shifted in the past. Yellowstone has erupted. We've had serious solar effects on power, and asteroids have struck our Earth. Will they happen again in our lifetime? Eventually. Some, almost certainly. Some affirm maybe. Some are possible. Great Depression. Devastating Midwest, Midwest seismic activity. National or global pandemics in the Western world. Majoring of fire activity. Significant volcanic eruptions. The atmosphere blocking ash type. Major global climate change for the hotter or colder. EMP devastating solar activity and nation crippling electronic based viruses. Like permaculture zoning, the business world can also give us some scale systems to apply. High probability, high reward, urgent response items are given priority, while lower chance and less likely risk are tended to later. We can create the same for our preparedness. Another way to look at the five rings would be to apply a time span for event duration, perhaps three to seven days, then three to six weeks, three months, six to 12 months, and 18 months. There is uh, another graphic here um, when he's talking about different zones as far as not urgent, important, urgent, not important, and then uh, you know where would it fall for you. Like using prevalence, using time spans creates a measurable scale that works off of most likely bases. Most of us at some point inside one to five years will have some sort of financial upheaval or power outage that makes the supplies in the first few rings useful. Ensuring that we have everything we need to cook, clean, safe, stay warm or cool, and pay bills for those periods will keep us more balanced in our preparedness and make us better prepared to the things that are most likely to occur in our near future and our lifetime. There is a, another graphic of the United States in color with different zones or regions. And every region, there's the, the more likely uh, disasters that, that are, uh, are listed. So something uh, interesting that you might want to go check out. It's uh, inarguable that if you're ready for the New World Order to freeze the planet and then send out FLIR drones to drop nuclear bombs in the midst of a planned or unplanned foreign nation bank account hack while satellites are inaccessible due to solar storms interference, you're pretty much good. That's not a particularly practical place to start and it might not be the best plan for resource allocation unless everything else really is covered. There are a world's worth of things that occur on a small scale inside homes and towns that happen a lot more frequently than the dinosaurs and mega mammals die out. 
I see an awful lot of people hyped on one thing that can go wrong and might one day go wrong, but they exclude all kinds of things that do actually happen. They forget that we sometimes have disasters that mean daily life is taking place all around us or in the rest of the country. I'm sorry, I keep saying country for county. County, state, nation, and world. They neglect fire extinguishers and smoke detectors for the sexy, cool aspects of preparedness like the rifles and Rambo knives. Fact is, most of us will experience something from the first tier or two in our lives at least once, and for some of us, they're regular parts of life. In many cases the of upheaval and crisis, we're still going to want electricity, most likely. We will still have a job or need to find a new one. We will still be expected to present ourselves showered and with money to receive services. We'll still have doctor's appointments, hunting and squatting in county, state, national parks will still be frowned on, and combat gear in the street will still be the exception rather than the rule. In some cases, the duration of our life-altering events might only be a few hours or days. However, in many parts of the world, those hours or days can be seriously inconvenient, if not downright deadly. The ability to keep a CPAP machine running, repair a down or wrecked vehicle, and continue on with life after a squirrel invasion or a tree comes down is just as important as defending the home from looters and making beeswax candles. Being able to repel the zombie horde does me little good if my vehicle is in poor repair on a daily basis and leaves me stranded on my way to work. Five, five to ten thousand rounds of ammo times my seven platforms sounds nice unless I don't keep oil, coolant, jumper cables, and fix a flat or a mini air compressor in my vehicle so I can lip my way home to them safely on a daily basis. Prioritizing instead of jumping willy-nilly and tracking instead of continuing to add to whatever my favorite prep stash is can help prevent daily disasters from truly causing upheaval. The nice thing about seriously assessing what is likely to go wrong based on prevalence in the past is that we can sometimes make just little twitches. We don't have to be ready for all-out neighborhood wars over food, grazing rights, and tickets to the earth arcs to create that overlap. A bug-out bag serves as a shelter-in-place kit as well as a standard wildfire or hurricane evac kit. Having a month or two of food, or far more, means we can also weather a big bill because we can skip buying groceries. Resources like the Ready.gov site and our insurance carriers can help us determine what goes wrong in our area. We might be well served making maps using the information they give us about regular 50-year and 100-year floods, windstorms, and snow hurricane routes to apply to our walkout and driveout plans. We can also use their information like what is the number one thing that causes job loss or vehicle and home damage in our area to make sure we're buffered against it. Patch preparedness arc and the arc and the article about a balanced will, especially the comments, may help even long-term preppers better assess where they stand and focus or refocus on any gaps between normal daily life and the return of the Ice Age, Dust Bowl, total economic collapse, and other extreme events. They and the standard FEMA Red Cross recommendations for 3, 7, 10, 14 days of supplies can be excellent starting places for beginners. All right. So a um, couple of a uh, couple of comments here, not a lot, um, but I I think it's important. I think planning, 
uh, preparedness planning is the most important thing that you can do. And starting out with what's the most likely kind of scenarios for you, I think that's you know definitely where you need to start. Um, I'm going to go back to food, water, uh, you know, medical, and uh, ways to defend yourself, uh, and finances. You know, having your putting your finances in order in a way that you can uh, start saving some money and knocking down debt and things like that. Um, but uh, this does make sense. Um, I just I would hate for someone to say, okay, I'm going to start planning in zone one, and then uh, you know we just read. Uh, you know, all these disasters uh, just recently, uh, you know, in the previous article, uh, all these other things that are possible to happen, right? So I think that's why you need a plan. You need to be able to have a plan so that you are moving towards not just saying, I got zone one taken care of, I'm good. You know, uh, I think they do refer to a time frame like a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. Uh, you know, preparedness is a lifestyle. So, uh, anyway, go check out that article. There's some good graphics, and then, uh, like uh, like always, uh, links that you want to check out. All right, so um, we're going to go ahead and go on to the next article. I am going to be real long on this uh, podcast. I can I can tell. This next one comes to us from the SurvivalistBlog.net, uh, MD Creekmore's website over there. Uh, the title is "What Will It Take to Survive the Coming Pandemic." All right, so let's go ahead and move to this one. This past winter, the flu epidemic in central Tennessee made the news across the country. I got phone calls from family in Florida about how we were doing. Our local school system closed for several days. The truth is that we avoided the flu this year. Everyone that we knew who did get the flu was able to get Tamiflu and got well after a week or so. It was more of an inconvenience than an emergency, but it did give us reason to think about when action would be necessary. There are emergencies where you have a better idea of when to do something. When floodwaters or forest fires reach your house or close or close enough to cut off escape, it is time to go. When you see what are clearly enemy paratroopers land in the field beside your school, and certainly when they shoot the history teacher, it is time to go. Also, it's time to leave immediately with what you can pick up and carry out quickly. You don't have time to get out a rental truck up to the house to load grandma's wedding china. Not every scenario is as clear-cut as these or require the same response. My thoughts turn to what kind of things would I look for in a flu epidemic to make me realize it was time to bug in. Is there any time when we would agree to leave the area? I have a limited amount of leave time at work and the kids have a limited number of days they can miss school, so it would have to be serious. I would have considered bugging in if I heard a combination of things that I think would signal that the epidemic was getting out of hand. If several patients were dying of the flu, if Tamiflu was being rationed or was unavailable, if I got a sense from medical staff, emergency personnel, or other such people that it could actually be a real problem or the big one, if I saw any evidence of temporary hospitals being set up in gymnasiums, fairgrounds, buildings, or large tents. Many times in history... And in disease apocalyptic films, it seems that getting home or to the alternate bug out location early is key. It certainly would be critical for people who don't live at or very close to their bug out location. In the movies, the viewer clearly sees signs of the disaster that the the characters do not notice. 
I understand that this is because a movie where a family goes to a secure, well-stocked location that they can easily hide or otherwise defend would be incredibly boring. But if it was real and it was you and your family, then you need to notice signs and come up with appropriate levels of response. That led me to think of what could be more generic signs of an impending problem. Maybe one of these things is not that are not that out of place, but a group of them might be. Stores out of stock on key items or many items when not on sale or otherwise in demand. Obviously, a great sale on bacon will empty the shelves and it may be hard to find sweet potatoes that evening before Thanksgiving. Gas shortages. Unexpected price increase on key items. Gas fluctuates, but if the price doubles all at once, something is fishy. Seeing posts or articles about something in your area on social media. There was recently a shooting at a plant in a nearby, nearby town, and social media reported on it accurately long before the local news. Let me stop there. I have, I have said that before. There are definitely uh, advantages to social media. I know people were like, man... When I, especially when I first started Prepper website, yeah, I talked about the raffle that I'm going to be doing for, uh, or the giveaway that I'm going to be doing for the Legacy Mega Sampler. When I did that in the beginning stages of Prepper website, I had so many people upset, sending me emails and leaving comments because they didn't get on social media. And part of it was go and like our page and go follow us on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's a little bit, you know, even. Uh, websites like James Wesley Raw's, I mean, always talked about not being on social media, but you know he's on social media now. Uh, although he's, you know, he's not really pushing it hard, but he is, he is on there because he realizes that it is, it is beneficial. But for instance, in my area, uh, and, and not just in Houston, in the city of Houston, just in my, you know, in my area, my the northwest part of Houston, there is a Facebook group that is very, very, very diligent about posting things that are going on. So if there's police activity or if there's, you know, gunshots or whatever, I mean, you can go there. Um, back in our area flooded last year, uh, around this time, um, a little bit more than a year ago. And let me tell you, there was, you know, up to the minute pictures. And I mean, people were just really, really good. And like this, this person said, is, is the information was better than what you would get on the news or, or you would find anywhere else. And so you might want to find uh, something like that for yourself. Uh, that might be uh, something very beneficial to be a part of a group. And you don't have to go and participate. You can just go and kind of lurk. But uh, as you go and as you uh, pay attention to different things, you'll see uh, what things are like, you know, um, you know how crime is. And, and, or, you know, that's another good idea. If you're moving into a, an area, you can like uh, the Facebook groups for that area and just see what kind of things people are saying. All right. So really uh, beat that one down. All right. Continuing on. Seeing a social media blackout locally or nationally, one might have a problem, but two or more may indicate an intentional block. Seeing a large number of seriously ill people as you go about your business. Unusual power outages. Unusually bad cell service or no cell service in a place that is normally fine. Unusual internet outages. Many military vehicles and personnel in your area, if you don't live near a base or a main highway flight path, we get flyovers all the time, but would notice if there was a big increase or unusual patterns. Sudden absence of military vehicles and personnel in your area, if you live near a base, that it may indicate a training or, exor or exercise, but it could also be a lockdown or a preparation for something. 
unexplained cancellation of government activities such as commission meetings, parades, festivals, and so on, unexplained closure of government offices, local TV and radio stations stop broadcasting or change from their usual formats, especially if news stories are absent, mail or package delivery disruption, news reports from many people ill, dying, or missing, news reports of an unusual number of dead or missing pets, especially in your neighborhood. I read once where burglars went through and let out pets from yards so there would be no barking when they went back to break in. Sudden increase in crime in your area, controversial court cases that could incite a riot in your area, roads unexpectedly blocked off, an accident with bodies lying around the vehicles, especially if there is a tanker involved, emergency responders have died, breathing poisonous gas released from a semi, or train carrying hazardous materials crashes and is compromised, watch for the hazmat placards. Nature acting strangely, it would be odd if I saw no squirrels, birds, or other wildlife on my way to or from work. Get used to how wild and domesticated animals behave in your area so that you can tell when things are off. Likewise, be aware of trees and plants. If all oak trees drop their leaves on June 1st, something is wrong. Government-issued curfew, especially if it seems to be an overreaction to circumstances you know about. Certain websites going down, including survival sites, news sites, live webcam sites. In smaller towns, an increase in people where there is no apparent reason. They may be refugees from a nearby, nearby town, headed onward or building up staff before making their move. The presence of utility vehicles in your area for an extended time with no apparent reason, especially if they are unmarked, if the power is on and the ca- cable internet works, what are they up to? In fairness, sometimes contractors who work for multiple utilities use plain white vehicles. In the presence of unusual vehicles generally in your neighborhood, dark sedans or SUVs, especially if very clean and new, feds, or perhaps cares, I'm sorry, or perhaps cars cruising the neighborhood to see who is there and what can be stolen. Next, we need to identify from the signs we observe what might be going on now and what appropriate responses might be. Bugging in every time a helicopter flew over the house would be tiresome, especially if you live near an airport or hospital. Running away because you thought that the Independence Day fireworks was the commies finally making their move would get you laughed at by your friends and at the very, at the very least. To start, make a plan with your household about what you may want to do as a potential threat level increases. One step might be to keep gas tanks full and stock up on any last-minute items. The next level might be to stay home unless you are going to work or school only. This may reduce your exposure to infected people and statistically reduce your chances of being out when something bad happens. Perhaps if you do go out, such as to the store, everyone goes. This reduces your chances of getting split up. However, it leaves... However, it leaves your home empty. You have to consider what is going on as you make your plans. Should you all bug in for a few days? That could work, but you also have to consider whether you will let visitors in under these circumstances. Can your kids' fi- can your fu- sorry can your kids' friends come to visit? That defeats the purpose of self quarantine, but also may be obvious what you are doing which you may or may not mind. And finally, is there any reason you would decide to leave your home? What are they? Where would you go first? What if that place was compromised? Would you take anything? If so, make sure it is easy to carry and ready to go. Quick note, 
Thousands of important documents and family photos fit on flash drives that can be carried easily or stored at a relative's house in case your home is ever lost. Do encrypt the drive to protect from identity theft. If you feel that you need to be more aware of things in your area, try to make connections in your community that may inform you of problems or give you a better sense of what is going on in the area. Joining the local CERT group is a way to be in the know, meet informed contacts, receive training, and maybe help your community. The Red Cross and other volunteer groups may be similarly helpful in providing training and emergency alerts. The Rotary Club, JCs, and other service groups would broaden your contacts as well as increase the chances that you will hear news or rumors in time to act. If you live in a large city, especially with a government or military presence, you may be able to observe the important people or the families and tell when they are acting differently. If the legislature suddenly dismissed midweek during session, that might be a clue that something was wrong. This entire article can be summed up in two simple thoughts. Be aware of your surroundings and have a plan. Hopefully, this has given you some things to think about in your efforts to be prepared. So that that's the key, right? It's always um, looking out and being aware uh, and knowing what's going on, knowing typical patterns, and then if pat- pat- patterns are changing, uh, something that you definitely want to know. Uh, I, you know. I talked with someone the other day um, uh, who just who didn't, had hadn't heard of the WannaCry uh, you know, ransomware. You know that was on the news, so you, you know you at least know that they're not even watching the news, and so I think it's important that as preppers that we stay aware and that we have those those different ways that we can stay aware and uh, you know learn information uh, when we need to. All right, so um, I want to talk about one thing. You know, Daisy's um, Daisy's article at the Organic Prepper, and then uh, this idea of a pandemic and a coming pandemic. Uh, and then the um, you know the the second article that I read prepping priorities and knowing that there are things that can happen they don't come as often but they can happen I just want to just talk about this really really quick um, one of the things you know those of you who have been listening for a little while know that I'm a minister I unapologetically Christian if you do not like that and you don't and I don't I haven't talked about faith recently, but if you don't like it and that's going to offend you, then you just need to go somewhere else. There's plenty of other, uh, you know, podcasts, prepper podcasts that 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 don't uh, that's not important to them at all. So, uh, but anyway, um, so you know that I'm, I'm a minister. You know, I'm a person of faith. Uh, I, I take that very very seriously. Uh, one of the things that I recently, probably in the last two years, kind of got back into was looking at prophecies of the Bible. Uh, one one estimate, or they, they put prophecies in the Bible. The Bible is somewhere between 21 and 29 percent uh, prof- prophetic prophecies. And the thing is, is that you don't hear about prophecy or end-time prophecy anymore. Um, in churches, and you think about it, if you are a believer, if you're a church-going believer, think about the last time you heard a message on the last days or the end, end, end of days and the book of Revelation, those kinds of things, uh, where they were actually talking about the last days and not just talking about you know the church in Philadelphia or the you know those kinds of things, uh, but they were really talking about the you know what what is it going to be like in the last days. It's very, and if you go to a church that has done that recently, then you you go to a very very rare church because they're just 
there it's not talked about you know in in the in Christian churches anymore it just isn't um probably because there's just uh people don't really know and uh they don't want to speculate and it kind of freaks people out but I just wanted to kind of bring this up to you right now um not to go into a long you know diatribe about this uh but America is not in end time prophecy. When you when you listen to a lot of uh, the end time uh, teachers, and you know whether you go to YouTube or you read their articles or whatever, um, even I'm reading a, a book, the, the Vision, uh, updated by David Wilkerson. He's passed away, but he had this vision. Uh, at one point, he was like the darling of the Christian Christian world, and then uh, he had this, you know, when he did the cross and the switchblade type thing. If you're familiar with that, and if you're not, you can go look that up. Um, but then he did, came out with this vision about the you know, kind of like all this destruction that was going to happen in America, and uh, people turned on him because they didn't want to hear it. And uh, so, but not just him, but when you go. And you listen to other teachers, other Bible teachers, and they, they're talking about uh, prophecy and end times. You'll learn very, very quickly that um, there's nothing in the Bible that kind of resembles America. Um, there's some people out there that kind of force things maybe. Um, but really what people expect to happen is something happens to America and it's not really a... Uh, a superpower or a force or for whatever reason it kind of gets taken out of the equation out of end time bible equation and you can you know right now we're we're in everything right i mean we're dealing with north korea you know israel is our ally we have all these things going on and um you know for us to not be a part of that for whatever reason um you know that something has to happen over here so the question is what happens to the christians uh you know, before that happens, if if that's the way it goes, right? I'm not saying that's the way it goes. I'm just saying that most, almost every uh, Bible teacher out there will tell you that America does not factor in end-time prophecy. The, so the question is, what happens to the Christians? Do the Christians get raptured? So do they get raptured pre-trib? So before tribulation happens, before things get really bad here in America or on the earth, are they like gone? Does Jesus take them back? Or do they go through it halfway and there may be mid-tribulation, uh, there's a rapture somewhere along the line there. So Christians do experience some of the tribulation and then they get raptured up, but they don't experience the full tribulation or the wrath of God. So either way, whatever you, however you see it, at some point um, it looks like America does get taken out. And so what would that look like? If you are, maybe you're not a Christian and maybe you don't want to be a Christian, uh, but it, that might be, you know, a reason to prep or a reason to prep, you know, going really deep and, and, and prepping, you know, for the long haul, because that might be something that, that definitely would happen. So um, anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there to you because things are crazy out there in the world when... Uh, I used to think that Islam was going to play a bigger role in the Antichrist type uh, scenario. Um, but when Russia got invo involved with Iran and all that kind of stuff happened, then some of the other scenarios that Bible teachers and Bible prophecy teachers were talking about, that seems to be lining up, which is really, really crazy, man. Uh, and so a lot of, lot of things going on. 
out there that uh, just you know make me want to keep my ears up and and eyes open, but also continue my uh, my trust and my faith in God and in Jesus Christ. So anyway, um, hope uh, hope I didn't go too too long for you. I don't think I went as long as the one that uh, Gay Gay Levy Levy's uh, article was on. But anyway, here we go. Uh, we'll go ahead and end this out. Episode 64. Hey, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose to not be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.